Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. So what we refer to as the New Testament book of 2 Timothy is actually the last letter ever written by the Apostle Paul. He wrote it to his best buddy, a pastor named Timothy, who Paul also referred to as his spiritual son. And Paul writes this letter from prison in Rome in 67 AD. And as you read through the letter, you get the sense that even though Paul is the one in prison, Timothy is feeling really tired, like almost sick and tired. Like tired to the point where you get the sense that he's ready to give up, to punch out, to wave the white flag. And Paul writes this letter saying, no, Timothy, keep going. And it kind of reminded me a little bit of you and me. It's been a crazy two and a half years. And I think for some people watching online today or here in person today, there's a sense that you feel tired, maybe even sick and tired. Maybe even tired to the degree where you've been contemplating lately, giving up or punching out or waving the white flag. And it's so interesting because Paul writes this letter in 67 AD, and according to God's plan, it's in our Bible. So it's almost as if Paul is reaching across the centuries with a message for you. It's like Paul's saying something like this, hey, from one weary soldier to another one, don't give up now. Because what's crazy is in this moment, in March of 2022, we're here and and there's this feeling like, man, I'm tired. I want to give up. I want to punch out. I want to wave the white flag. And in this exact moment, there's been no time in my life in which the people in our world, the people in your family, in your friend group, in your neighborhood, at work and at school, needs help more than they need right now needs hope more than they need right now, needs encouragement more than they need right now, needs love more than they need right now. So it's like Paul is reaching across and saying, not now, not now, keep going. He says this, as for you, my son, be strong through the grace that is ours in union with Christ Jesus. So that's one of 25 times that Paul says to Timothy, be strong. And I don't think it's because like, Timothy's like a physically weak person. I think honestly, Timothy is just feeling overwhelmed, exhausted, maybe more correctly, overmatched, overmatched for the challenges that he is facing in his life. I wonder if you're there. I wonder if it would be accurate for me to say that at least in one area of your life this morning, you might say, man, I feel overmatched. I feel overmatched for the challenges that I'm facing in my marriage. I feel overmatched with the challenges that I'm facing in my family. I feel overmatched for the challenges that I'm facing in my thought life. I, I just feel overmatched. And Paul would say to you the same thing he said to Timothy back in 67 AD. Oh, perfect. That's exactly where you need to be. See, the point that Paul is making to Timothy and I think would want to make to you today too is this. Well, yeah, of course. Of course you're feeling overmatched. Because the plan that God has for your life is actually bigger than you can handle on your own. The difference that God created you to make is actually bigger than you can make 
on your own. The vision that God has for your life is actually more than you can step into on your own. And that's, listen, that's why you need grace. And we started this discussion a little bit last week. I want to continue it today because Paul is. Grace. So often when I say the word grace to you, if you grew up around the church a little bit, you think of grace as this, salvation. And that is true. That's the first aspect of grace, saving grace, that God loves you so much that he sent his son and that Jesus Christ stepped into human history. He lived, he died, he rose again for you so that your sins can be forgiven and so your eternity can be secure. That's saving grace. But that's not the grace that Paul's talking about here. There's a second grace that we need to step into when we have this sense that the vision that God has for my life is more than I can step into on my own, and that's called empowering grace. See, it's great. I was thinking about how weird it is sometimes as Christ followers, as church attenders, when we look at one another and we go, hey, 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 just remember, the plan that God has for your life is bigger than you can handle on your own, and then we walk away. Like, that's supposed to be encouraging. And... Hey, 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 it's March of 2022. It's March of 2022, man. Hey, just remember this. The world has never needed hope and help and love and encouragement more than the world needs right now. And there's a part of you that's looking back going, I don't have any. I don't have any hope. I can't help myself. I don't know how I'm supposed to be able to help others. And you're right. You're absolutely right. I do feel like the plan that I have for my life, this vague sense of what I'm supposed to be, what I'm supposed to do, the difference I'm supposed to make, you're absolutely right. It's way more than I can handle on my own. Thank you so much. And that's because, by the way, I think we stop at saving grace. I think we stop at saving grace. That we receive God's gift of forgiveness and we receive God's gift of eternal life. And don't get me wrong, that's great news. That never gets old for me. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, uh, loves me so much that he died and rose again for me. I love it. I'm all about it. And yet, I think we need to take that next step. So if you're gonna look at me and say, hey, God's got a bigger plan than you can handle on your own. God wants you to bring hope and help to the world in March of 2022. Can you at least tell me how? Because saving grace is a free gift. This is really, really important. Saving grace is a free gift, but empowering grace, you gotta take hold of it. It's this revolutionary thought that you find over and over and over again in 2 Timothy. Saving grace is a free gift. You wanna know why there's so many Christians, Christ followers, church attenders in the world living powerless lives? This is why. because they stop short at saving grace, which is great, it's good news, but now the world would desperately love you to live a powerful life, to make a difference. So how do you find hope and help when you don't have any? How do you find the love to give other people when you feel like you're running short yourself, empowering grace? And you gotta take hold of it, and by the way, I know Lee already mentioned it, at 12.30 today, I wanna continue a conversation about how we can take hold of not just God's saving grace, but his empowering grace 
also, and she already mentioned all the details, which I've already forgotten. So I'll be here at 12.30. It's going to be cool. Okay. Paul says this, take the teachings that you heard me proclaim in the presence of many witnesses and entrust them to reliable people who will be able to teach others also. Boom, huge. At some point, general truth has to become personal truth. At some point, general truth has to become personal truth. At some point, general truth has to become personal truth. Here's why. Young man, young woman, here's why. At some point in your life, adversity is going to hit if it hasn't already. And at that moment in your life, it's not going to be enough that mom and dad went to church and dragged you along. That's general truth. It's not even going to be enough that you sat through a lot of sermons in your life. When adversity strikes, you're going to need more than general truth. You're going to need personal truth to move you forward, to help you take hold of that empowering grace that you're going to need. When I was a teacher, almost every single year, I'd have another teacher walk up to me and say something like this. Dude, I got to tell you, you got a kid in your class next year? His name is Fred. I never taught a kid named Fred, but let's just say I did. His name is Fred. He's a nightmare. A nightmare. He's hyper, he's crazy, he's bouncing off the walls. You're going to hate every minute of it. And as soon as they said that, I knew that I was going to love every minute of it. Oh, there's some kids that I struggle to teach, not crazy ones. I get crazy. Man, I've been to crazy. I've done crazy. I got the t-shirt for crazy. I love working with those kids. An ability to reach high-strung kids. Bouncing off the wall, kids, crazy kids. Say, yeah, I get it, that's why I come to this church, Mike. I get it, I get it, I know you, I know who you are. Something really important Paul's saying here. You gotta find somebody who can take general truth and make it personal and help you make it personal. You gotta find someone in your life who's gonna help you take the general truth and make it personal. See, I stand up here every week, I work really hard, I prepare really hard, I pray really hard, I study really hard, I come up here and I present general truth to you. But honestly, it's not enough. Unless you take it and make it personal. I think the way you make it personal, yeah, it's true, like many of you take notes, that's great, and you go over your notes later and say, God, uh, what, did I, you know, what did I learn? What do you have for me today? That's awesome. But I really believe general truth can become personal most effectively when we have one-on-one conversations or small group conversations. That's why we talk a lot about small groups at Southside Church. If someone ever says to you, man, who teaches? Who does the teaching at Southside Church? Say it's too many to list. We had all these amazing small group leaders. And and, and so for a majority of our small groups, they do sermon-based studies. Don't you love that? I love that so much because I come up here on the weekend and I present to you some general truth. And then the small group leader figures out a way to do it way better than I did it, which I love because they look at you, they look at their group, and they go, man, how can we go deeper here? How can we take this from another angle? There's people uh, that call Southside Church home online and in person And they've lived a life that is going to help them relate to you way better than I could ever relate to you. They're going to help you take general truth and make it personal. No big deal. No big deal when life is easy. No big deal in February of 2020. No big deal. When adversity strikes, it's going to have to be more than general. It's going to have to be personal. Paul continues. He says this. Take your part in suffering as a loyal soldier of Christ Jesus. I read an article the other day, so cool. It was called The Return of Nature. 
the author was talking about how when settlers arrived in our region of the world here, British Columbia, Canada, right on the west coast, most beautiful place in the world, incidentally, okay, but when settlers arrived, they were at the mercy of nature. You know what I mean? They were at the mercy of nature. Like scorching hot in the summer, snow and freezing cold in the winter, rain, floods, mudslides, natural disasters, they were at the mercy of nature. But as the years went on, as the decades went on, as the centuries went on, uh, people, men and women like you and me, we got pretty good at kind of shoving nature aside a little bit, don't you think? We built houses, listen, we built houses that keep us really nice and cool in the summer and warm and cozy in the winter. How amazing is that? We said, hey nature, cool, thanks for coming out. We're just gonna come in, we're gonna hang out in an air-conditioned house. And then we built whole, whole communities where we could just enjoy, we, we could just ignore and step away from the elements and nature. You want an example? What's this region that we live in right now called? What's this called? The what? The Fraser Valley. Do you know what it's supposed to be? A lake. A lake. A lake. If you're around in 2021, you might know that, okay? A lake. And we said to nature, no, no, no. We like a valley. Thank you very much. The best example that I can think of, or the one that kind of makes me chuckle, is cruise ships. Cruise ships. Now, I've never been on a cruise, okay? So a lot of this is just extrapolation, so forgive me. But I find cruise ships funny. I find it really funny because through the vast majority of human history, the oceans, that's scary. The oceans are scary. The oceans, we're vulnerable in the oceans. They're frightening, but not on a cruise ship, man. We built these monolithic cruise ships. You can steam across the ocean. You don't even know you're on the ocean. You go onto the deck once in a while and go, look, a cool view. Now I'm gonna do like hot yoga and have a gourmet meal and watch a Broadway show. It's so neat. And then about five years ago, nature said, oh, allow me to reintroduce myself. Viruses. Droughts, forest fires, rain, flooding, mudslides, blizzards, ice storms. And over the last five years, what's happened for many of us is this, this illusion of control and this illusion of comfort that we got from our air-conditioned houses and our cruise ships has been shattered. And I would suggest to you, it's probably a good thing. See, back in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created all the, all the planets, all the vegetation, all the animals, people, and everything was absolutely perfect. And then the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve, said, nah, we're not going to do it God's way. We're going to step aside, which is a problem because God is our source of life and hope and, and, and perfection. So in that moment, creation was broken. We get that in March of 22. Creation was broken. And God had a two-part plan, though. Right from the very beginning, God had a two-part plan for healing what has been broken in creation. Part one, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, stepped into human history. He lived, died, and rose again to heal our broken souls. That's part one of the plan. That, that Jesus came, he died, he rose again, and he came to heal our broken souls. That when he died and rose again, it, mean that it means that our sins are forgiven our eternity is secure. We have the power to change from the inside out. That's part one. Part two, 
Jesus is going to come back one day and make all things new. Jesus is going to come back one day and make all things new. New heaven, new earth, new bodies. The last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, in chapter 22, I believe, says this. When Jesus comes back, he's going to wipe every tear from every eye. No more death, no more pain, no more suffering, no more sorrow. And here we are, and we're in the in-between time. We're in the meantime, if you will. Every once in a while, I'll have somebody come up to me and say, hey, Mike, like, I'm wondering, are we in the last days? Are we in the last days with everything going on, with viruses and, and wars and rumors of wars and natural disasters, are we in the last days? Well, biblically speaking, we are. The last days is the gap between Jesus' first coming and his return. And it puts us in a really interesting position because we're spiritually whole people living in a broken creation. Spiritually whole people living in a broken creation. And therefore, now is not the moment to give up. Now is the moment again to be reminded, to be reminded, hey, the vision that God has for your life is bigger than you can handle on your own. The difference that God is calling you to make is more than you can handle on your own. And now Paul gives us three steps. Okay, Paul, that's really great. So how do we pull this off? Three steps to taking hold of empowering grace. Here's step one. A soldier on active duty wants to please his commanding officer and so does not get mixed up in the affairs of civilian life. Hey, you want to find hope, help, love, and encouragement so that you can give it to others? Step one, be faithful, be faithful, be faithful like a soldier. The soldier that Paul is alluding to in this passage, by the way, would be someone who is fighting for their home. Defending their home. So this soldier would know, I'm fighting for my kids here. I'm fighting for my wife. I'm fighting for my husband. I'm fighting for my mom and dad. I'm fighting for my friends. I'm fighting for my family. I'm, I'm fighting for my home. And in that sense, a soldier is faithful. Like Soldiers don't get to say, when the general says it's time to go fight, soldier doesn't get to say, I'm not really feeling it today. You know, that spring forward thing, that daylight savings is still kicking my butt from like two and a half weeks ago. I'm out. I'm out. Got a hangnail, bad sushi a couple nights ago. I'm, I'm done. Doesn't happen, right? Because soldiers fight. They're faithful. They're faithful. They're faithful. Got me thinking again the fact that like this, this broken world we live in is, is also a battleground, that there's a battle going on, that you have a spiritual enemy named the devil. And the devil loves the brokenness in this broken world. He loves the brokenness in this broken world. What the devil loves most of all is he loves it when this broken world can break people and then those broken people go around breaking other people. Ever seen it? I thought so. I call it a cycle of sorrow. God's plan for you, God's plan for you is that somewhere you would step in to a situation and break the cycle of sorrow. Only one way to do it, bring hope, bring help, bring healing, bring love. Here's what I mean. Stop blaming other people for the brokenness in this broken world. Now please make sure you hear me. Stop blaming other people for the brokenness in this broken world. Stop blaming your spouse. I get it, your spouse could be way better. I get it. 
They're an imperfect person living in an imperfect world. They're not the source of all your trouble. Stop blaming them for the brokenness of this broken world. It's broken. Stop blaming your kids. I get it. Your kids could be way, way, way better. They're imperfect people living in an imperfect world. They are not the source of your trouble. They are not the reason why this broken world is broken. Stop blaming them. Stop blaming your boss. Stop blaming your neighbors. Hey, I'll go at one more. Stop blaming God. It's easy to look around in the world that we're living right now and say, God, where are you? Where are you? A little help, please. This world needs some help. It's broken. And God looks at you and he says, I did do something about it. I sent you. I sent you. I sent you to be faithful. There are people in our world today, some of them you know, some of them you haven't even met. Maybe you never will. And they're praying prayers right now, saying, God, in the middle of this broken world, please show me you're real. Please show me you love me. Please show me that you have a plan. And his answer to their prayers is you. It's you. So the first thing we need, if we're going to take hold of God's empowering grace, listen to me, the first thing we need to do is understand what we're fighting and who we're fighting. So instead of fighting against your spouse, fight for them. Instead of thinking that your fight is against your kids, your family, your friends, realize that you've been sent into human history to fight for them. Number one, we need the faithfulness of a soldier. Number two, the discipline of an athlete. An athlete who runs in a race can't win the prize unless he obeys the rules. C.S. Lewis said it this way, you can't go against the grain of the universe and not expect to get splinters. Certain rules of life, right? Like things that work and things that don't work. Athletes know that. What's true physically needs to be true for us spiritually also. Years ago, I was 25 years old working out in the gym, so seven, years, seven, eight years ago, I was working out in the gym. And this guy from our church comes walking up. He was 35, about 10 years older than me, 35 years old. He starts, uh, he starts talking to me. He says, uh, well, we had small talk first, like what guys talk about in the gym, like how much do you bench, blah, 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 okay? And then, and then he says, hey, man, I got this idea. It's incredible. It's a revolutionary idea. I want to share it with you. By the way, what I'm about to tell you is true because you're not going to believe me. Time back in. Okay. I got this revolutionary idea. Revolu amazing. Uh, I want to explain it to you. He said, it's called evangelism to nightclubs. I'm like, come again? He's like, oh yeah, it's this revolutionary idea. It's called evangelism to nightclubs. I'm like, you're married, right? So yeah, got two kids, married two kids. But I got this idea, it's called evangelism to nightclubs. Huh. So here's the thing. Like, back when I was your age, like 25 years old, you know women never gave me a second look, not even a second look. But I hit my 30s, and I've like really hit my stride. You know what I mean? Like I'm working out in the gym, I'm tanning, and I'm telling you what, like, 
the women, they give me a second look now, you know what I mean? I'm like, not really. Nah, I, 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 I don't know what you mean. He's like, okay, okay, well, here's the thing. Evangelism to nightclubs. So what I do is I go on Friday and Saturday nights, I go into nightclubs in Vancouver. And I don't drink, but I hang out until the nightclub closes. And then I walk around and I look for women that are still there when the nightclub closes. And, and, and I, uh, I share Jesus with them. And if they need a ride home, I give them a ride home. He's like, and can I tell you something, honestly? There's no shortage of women that want me to give them a ride home. You know what I mean? I was like, not really. No, not really. So this is evangelism to nightclubs. And what I would like to tell you was in that moment, I said, that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard in my life. But I did not say that. I did not. I said something like this. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. I'm just going to go back and continue my workout. And that's kind of how it ended. But I remember driving home that day thinking to myself, the Bible says be faithful, be faithful, be faithful as your heavenly father is faithful. It doesn't seem overly faithful to me. I only ever talked to that guy one more time, about seven years later. By that time, I had heard that he had multiple affairs. And when I say multiple, what I mean is multiple, well, you get it, multiple, 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 multiple affairs. And when I saw him seven years later, I talked to him, and he was bitter and angry and really, really sad. See, you gotta have the discipline of an athlete. And what, what I mean by that is there's certain things you do and certain things you don't. Like if you've ever turned on the TV, if you've gone to a live sporting event and you see a woman or a man and you go, oh, they're so incredible. They're so incredible. Well, one thing that you know for sure is they've put in literally tens, if not hundreds of thousands of hours to get good at whatever it is that they're good at. And in order to get there, athletes know this. In order to get there, there's some things you say no to, and there's some things you say yes to. Like if you ever turn on the TV and you see a great shooter in basketball, you know one thing for sure, that that person has shot literally a million, millions of shots in their life. And I would imagine that somewhere along the line, they had to say some no to some things, right? Like on a Friday night when all your buddies are hanging out, you're in the gym shooting jump shots. That's kind of how it works physically. Paul's saying here, it works that way spiritually too. There's some things you say no to spiritually, like evangelism to nightclubs or whatever, but there's some things you say yes to, and they're called what? They're called spiritual disciplines. Isn't that interesting? Spiritual disciplines. It takes discipline, actually. You, you want to take hold of God's empowering grace. So someone walks up to you and says, hey, 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 the plan that God has for your life is bigger than you can handle on your own, and then they walk away. It's like, that's not cool. That's not encouraging. How do you take hold of God's empowering grace? How do you get to the point where you even have the hope and help and love and encouragement that you could even give to someone else? Well, you gotta be disciplined like an athlete. You actually do. Spiritual disciplines like read your Bible every day. Spend some time reading your Bible. Spend time praying every day. Make church attendance a priority. Get in a small group. Spiritual disciplines. They're called disciplines, right? And, and I mentioned that, and I think it's really important to note. Spiritual disciplines, it's really important to note, because every once in a while I'll have somebody come up to me and go, man, I gotta tell you, I just love reading my Bible every day. Every single day, I can't wait to read my Bible. I can't wait. 
I mean, I, I spring out of bed in the morning. My Bible's in my study. I sprint to my study. I elbow my wife out of the way if she's in my way, and I dive to my Bible and start reading it. That's amazing. No, honestly, that's amazing, but that's not my experience. Or people who say to me, man, church, church, so easy to get to church on Sunday, so incredible. My kids are so well-behaved Sundays. Everything goes right. On, I never argue with my spouse on the way to church on Sunday, ever. Every light green, every single light green. That's not my experience. Like when I spend time reading my Bible in the morning, it's actually shocking to me how often I think about ridiculous things. Like in the moment suddenly, I just need, I need, before I read, I just need to know if the Oilers made a trade last night. I have to know this. Yes, 9-5, thank you so much, man. <laughs> thank you so very much. Did they ever? And I, was, I deserve that, by the way, after my clips from last week. You got me. You got me, okay? They lost. Like, sometimes I'll be reading my Bible, and it's like, man, this verse is really standing out to me. I'm going to go over to my computer, I'm going to pick up my phone, and I'm going to, like, search some commentaries to just go deeper into this verse. And I get to my computer, and I'm about to go deeper, and suddenly I think to myself, huh, and I wonder who won that by-election in Swift Current Saskatchewan three weeks ago. <laughs> Amazing, right? So I would say this to you. Much like an athlete who has a beautiful jump shot, you, you, you got to do the things that you need to do. Spiritual disciplines. If you want help, by the way, we got Bible reading plans you can reach out we got a bunch of those through the church. If you need help in spending some daily time in prayer, we started this year off with a series called Five, and it was five really repeatable steps to have daily prayer time. Because you don't just need the faithfulness of a soldier, but you do. You don't just need the discipline of an athlete. You also need the vision of a farmer. The vision of a farmer. The farmer who has done the hard work should have the first share of the harvest. The vision of a farmer. Farmers are tough. Farmers are tough. Tough, tough farmers. I learned that the hard way, man. Growing up in Red Deer, Alberta, one of our extracurricular recreational activities was to get in fights. We got in fights all the time. We would roam around looking to get in fights. So weird when I think about it now, but we would just do that. And one of the things we learned the hard way is farm boys are tough. We even had like a way of describing. We said there's, there's, there, there's gym tough, there's gym strong, and then there's farm boy strong. Okay, gym strong, like G-Y-M strong, that's like the guys that are doing curls for girls, you know, in the gym right before they go out. And, and, and we didn't worry about those guys. We had no problem getting in fights with those guys. But over time, we learned there's a different kind of strong. It's called farm boy strong. You just get out of their way, man. Like the bigger the belt buckle, the more you avoid them. It's just like, no, 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 you go. No, please, be my guest, be my guest. Farmers are tough. You know why? Because they live tough lives. They live tough lives. When, it, when, lives. when it's time to plow, they plow. When it's time to plant, they plant. When it's time to weed, they weed. They, they go out when the weather is beautiful and awesome. They go out when the weather is horrific. When a natural disaster strikes in the middle of the night, they go out. We all saw that, right? There's a picture that always reminds me of that. We see that picture, and, and it doesn't even really surprise us, does it? That's what farmers do. Farmers are tough. 
Farmers go out when it's easy, they go out when it's difficult. They live a tough life. Why? Why? Well, it's easy, vision. Vision. Farmers put in all that time, they face all that adversity, they, 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 they climb through all those challenges and obstacles. Why? Well, they got a vision. What's the vision? It's harvest. There's a harvest coming. See, Paul goes on, he says this, think about what I am saying because the Lord will enable you to understand it all. God's not tricky. God's not looking to confuse you. God is not a God of chaos, but a God of order. God is not looking to confuse you. God is a God of clarity. Like Jeremiah 29, 11 is this verse that if you grew up around the church a little bit, you maybe heard it before. It says this, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. I love Jeremiah 29, 11. Verse 12 goes on, however, and verse 12 says this, and then you will come to me and you will pray to me and I will listen. And I love that too. And then verse 13 is amazing also. This is what verse 13 says. Listen to this. It says this, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. You get it? No, no. When someone, when someone points at you and says, God's got a bigger plan for your life than you could ever handle on your own, now you get it. You, you need empowering grace. How do you get it? You got the faithfulness of a soldier. You got the discipline of an athlete. And you got the vision of a farmer. Paul says this, because I preach the good news, I suffer and I'm even chained like a criminal. But the word of God is not in chains. And so I endure everything for the sake of God's chosen people in order that they too may obtain the salvation that comes through Christ Jesus and brings eternal glory. It's 67 AD. Paul is sitting in prison in Rome writing the last letter that he will ever write, knowing that he has days, maybe weeks to live. And as he's sitting there in that prison cell in Rome in 67 AD, writing his last letter, he thinks about you and me. Isn't that amazing? Well, maybe not you and me specifically, but do you get it? Paul has a vision. Paul says this, hey, they can chain me up, but they can't chain up the word of God. You know, some scholars say that on the day that Paul was beheaded in 67 AD, that on that same day, the apostle Peter was crucified upside down in Rome also. So take yourself back to 67 AD for a moment. Christians are being covered with pitch and lit on fire. Paul's about to be beheaded. Either Peter has already been crucified or will soon be crucified. Guys like Nero, the religious Jews, the, the, the zealots, the teachers of the law are doing everything to stamp out this little thing, this little pesky group of people called Christians. And Paul says, he looks across the centuries and he says, oh, I see a harvest. I see a harvest because here's the thing, you can chain me up, but you can't chain up the word of God because there's something about grace. That men and women like you and me who look when someone says, man, God's got a bigger plan for your life than you can handle on your own. There's people like you and me that look, okay, I'm in, but how? And the gospel says how. 
that Jesus came to give you saving grace, but he also came to give you empowering grace. And I can't get that image out of my mind. There's the Apostle Paul in prison in 67 AD, and this is what he's saying. You know what? I fought the good fight. I fought. I did the best I could, you know? I fought a good fight. I was a faithful soldier. And then Paul says, I, from prison in Rome with days or weeks to live, Paul said, I ran a good race, you know? I did the best I could. I was disciplined like an athlete. And from a prison cell in Rome in 67 AD, Paul had a vision, and that vision was you and me. See, back in 67 AD, people were doing everything they could to stamp out this little pesky movement called Christians. And here we are, some 2,000 years later, and billions of people across the globe are calling on the name of Jesus. Why? Oh, you can chain up Paul, but you just can't chain the Word of God. And I just can't get that out of my mind of him sitting there saying, you know what, I fought the fight. I ran the race. I got a vision. And I think on the other side of eternity, we'll be able to walk up to Paul and say, hey, Paul. Hey. Thanks, man. Thanks for planting those churches. Thanks for preaching those messages. But actually, Paul, most of all, thanks for writing those letters. They really, really helped. So as I stand here today, I think the same is true of you. I really do. Like, I don't know who you are. I don't know where you've been. I don't know your story exactly. But I know this. God loves you. And I would go a step further. That you fought the fight. That you're in the process right now of fighting the good fight. Of not fighting against people, but fighting for them. That's beautiful. And that you're running a good race. You're not perfect, you know what I mean? But you're doing the things that you need to do to take hold of God's empowering grace. And I got this vision for you. I want you, I, I want you to feel it. I want you to feel this vision. Every week online and in person, by the way, hundreds and hundreds of new people joining us. And so if you give here, if you serve here, if you pray for this church, if you invite people to this church, I mean, do you have any idea the difference you're making? The way that you love the people in your family, do you have any idea the difference you're making? The way that you're raising your kids, the apologies that you're willing to make, do you have any idea the difference you're making? I want, I, I want to give you this perspective. Much like we're going to walk up to Paul, you're going to be there on the other side of eternity and you're going to have people walk up to you and some of them you're going to know and some of them you're not going to know because they're generations from now and they're going to say something to you. They're going to go, hey, 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 thanks. And you're going to be like, what? No, thank you. Thank you for fighting a good fight. Thank you for running a good race. Thank you for having a vision that went way, way, way beyond just you. I, my life, my family, my eternity was forever changed. Whew. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes? So what has God said to you today?
I don't need to convince you. It's March of 2022. <laughs> this world is hard. This world is difficult. So are you taking hold of not only God's saving grace, but have you taken hold of his empowering grace? The faithfulness of a soldier says this, I'm not gonna fight against the people around me. I live my life to fight for them. The discipline of an athlete says, hey, some of this stuff I don't always feel like doing, but I do it, and after I'm done, I'm always so happy I did it. And the vision, the vision, the vision, the vision of a farmer says, I'm planting seeds. There's gonna be a harvest one day. And I'm gonna play my part in this incredible story called redemption that God is writing on the pages of human history. feel that God would want to say something to you today. Well done. Hey, well done. Well done. Keep fighting. Keep running. Keep looking forward. Well done. And now with all eyes closed and all heads bowed, talk a lot about empowering grace. I'm gonna circle back a little bit right now. I wanna talk about God's saving grace. See, empowering grace you gotta take hold of, but the first step to find the hope and the help and the love that we all so desperately need is called saving grace, and that's something that Jesus already purchased. You don't have to do anything. All you need to do is receive it, that Jesus died and rose again so that your sins could be forgiven, so that your eternity can be secure, and so that you could have the power the power to become everything he created you to be. So if that's you today, if you're online or in person, and today's the day you wanna say, Jesus, I accept that free gift. I wanna start down the road of living that life that you created me to live, with all heads bowed and all eyes closed. Why don't you just raise your hand right now so I can pray for you? Amazing, amazing. Yeah, you can put your hands down. Whether you're online or in person, if you just raised your hand, I'm gonna pray out loud. I just invite you to pray silently along with me. So Jesus, thank you. Thank you for grace. First of all, I receive your saving grace. Thank you that you died for me. Pray that you would forgive my sins. Thank you that you rose again for me to secure my eternity. But now for all of us, Jesus, for those who just raised our hands, but for every single person watching online and in person, we thank you also that when you rose again, it means that we can live the life that we were created to live. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Give us strength, give us hope, give us patience, give us joy, give us kindness. And as we take hold of this life, it's bigger than we can live on our own. I thank you, thank you, thank you that you're gonna be there with us every step of the way. I pray this in your name. And everybody said, amen, let's celebrate. Do you know what next week is? Do you know what next Sunday is? Any idea at all? 
Awesome. That's what. Be back. Invite all your friends. I love you guys. We'll see you. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.